This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equitymates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to another episode of Get Started Investing, a podcast where we attempt to answer the most common money and investing questions from our community to help us all become better investors. If you are joining us for the very first time, a massive welcome. Thank you for joining the Equitymates community and congrats on starting your investing journey. We do strongly recommend that you scroll up and start at episode one. While we are licensed, we are not aware of your personal circumstances, so all information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only. With that said, my name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We are up to episode five of our Under the Hood series. We're getting halfway. We've covered some of the basics, and now we're ready to spread our wings and go overseas. Yeah, it gets exciting from this point on. Not that the first four weren't exciting, but we were building a foundation. So we're asking, how do we build a global portfolio? And we're not the only ones thinking it. We've got a question that has come in from the Equitymates community. So let's give it a listen. Hey, Equitymates. You're always talking about investing globally, but do I have to do that with a broker that lets me access overseas indexes? Or can I access global indexes through the ASX? Is that possible? Awesome. Well, uh, let's crack in. Yeah, we're going global with GlobalX. That's it. No better partner. GlobalX are a leading player in the ETF industry with a robust platform, over 30 targeted products globally. They have a trusted reputation with over a million clients in 95 countries and are uniquely positioned to identify and analyze disruptive companies with their industry-leading research team and global access. And uh, we're welcoming back one of the experts from GlobalX, Kanish Chug, head of distribution. Kanish, welcome. Bryce, Ren, thank you for having me. So uh, third third time in the series, Kanish. God, they yeah, really uh, you, putting you, their big guns forward. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know about that, but yeah, we'll, we'll try our best. <laughs> so yeah, today's all about uh, how do we build a global portfolio, and the ETFs that we're going to be discussing are the Global X India Nifty Fifty ETF. The ticker is NDIA, and the Global X Euro Stocks Fifty ETF ESTX. Both listed on the ASX, but we're going under the hood on the euro yeah can we just pause for a minute and just talk about the way that the europeans label their index it's like stocks s-t-o-x-x and it's like stocks 50 stocks 60 stocks 600 so th- that that would be because stocks is the index manager oh you, this is why yeah. we have it was because they were just trying to be cool yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. well that's make, makes sense because as we learned in the first episode with you kanish what's in a name the issuer and the index. Yes, so exactly got right. The yep. Euro stocks with a double X. With a double X, yeah. With a double X. Yeah. So, yeah. 
fair enough. <laughs> but I, lo- I love the Indian. It's one. It's one of my favourite ones to say. The Nifty Fifty. Nifty Fifty. Yeah. Nifty Fifty. Nifty Fifty. Again, the Nifty is the index provider. Oh, that's yeah. there you go. Yeah, so it's, even it's, though we've just done that episode, that still surprises me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like really, is that what it's? Yeah. The thing with Nifty Fifty that always surprised me was there were a bunch of American stocks back in the day that were also called the Nifty mm. Fifty, and so I was always like, do they are they trying to conflate them? But that actually makes a lot of sense. And maybe that was where the inspiration came from. I'm not 100 percent sure, um, but it's the index is run by the the National Stock Exchange of India, um, and that's sort of the the naming convention that they've used. There you go. Let, let's get stuck into it because the point I want to make at the top is that you don't actually need to go beyond the ASX here in Australia to get good global access to, to opportunities around the world. Yeah. Um, these days you can invest in the world's, the world's stock market from your local domestic exchange. Yeah, all of the world's biggest companies that are listed <laughs> are, are accessible through global ETFs. And we've mentioned a few indexes. Um, in this episode, we've mentioned Stocks 50 and the Nifty 50. Uh, in a couple of previous episodes, the S&P 500 in, Amer- in America. Uh, but Kanish, what are some of the, uh, I guess, more popular or more commonly invested in indexes around the world? Yep. So I guess if you were to jump on the finance report when you watch the news and you see those those markets that are then reported, so you've got like the the FTSE 100, uh, you've got you know the, the Eurostox 50, you've got you know um, the TSX 60, so that's from Canada, uh, the CSI 300, that's China, um, the Hang Seng, um, you know from Hong Kong, uh, they're sort of how you would represent it. So mm. when you think about you know what are the biggest um, indexes or biggest market bet reference benchmarks of how I want to track how that particular country is going. That's all that region. That's what you normally refer to. So, we, yeah, we've, we're able to invest in, as you said, the USA, Canada, China, U- UK, Europe, India, um, Brazil? Probably. South America somewhere? Not through um, a ASX-listed ETF, okay. but I know, you know, GlobalX over in the US has Pakistan, for example. Nice. Wow. You know, and, or Greece. Nice. Now, you start to, you can get sort of single country exposures. Um, here in Australia, there's over 300 ETFs, but still I don't think we're at that sort of yet to some, some countries, not yet, but regionally, you do get them as well. You know, through other Asia exposures or emerging market exposures and then where we've seen development in some of those country exposures from an ETF side has been where, you know, there's been a true investment need or client demand and things like India come up. So let's say we're interested in investing in a country like India. Mm -hmm. What are some of the key considerations we should uh, consider um, when investing in an ASX listed India ETF? Okay. So I guess I'd like to throw it back to you guys and just ask you, what does your portfolio look like from a country perspective? Do you know? As well. uh, yeah, I actually do a quarterly portfolio review, and one of the things I do is is say like not not country level, but continent, like where yep. my exposure is, and I can tell you right now that I'm heavily overweight North America and Australia. Okay. And what about you, Bryce? Yeah, I'm the same. You're the same? O- overweight both, yep. but I think we both have exposure, active exposure to Europe, to Asia. Yep. Yeah. yeah, very heavy, very, very heavy, heavy US. US. Yeah. Okay, so I looked at the MSCI World Index, so that's basically every country represented um, in terms of equities. And 
Australia was 2.15% of that index. The US was 67.6%. So that just gives you an idea from a market perspective how overrepresented some of those countries are, but yet from an Australian perspective, Australian investors always have that home bias. Yeah. And so that sometimes then flows through is why am I looking at other countries? And the reason why I'm looking for other exposures from other countries is diversification, purely and simply. You need to diversify your portfolio. We've seen in the past year or so that if you are heavily invested in a particular country like the US, you your portfolio would have underperformed. Mm. But had you been diversified into other countries, whether it be you know, Europe as a region, whether it be Asia, individual countries within Asia, emerging markets, you would have, out, I wouldn't say outperformed, but your returns may have been more smooth, um, sort of smoother out, um, or the volatility may have been sort of lower based on recent times. So yeah. it's about diversification. I think there's an additional build to that, which is investing in the stock market is the one area of your financial life where you can actually break your home country bias. Like your job is tied to the country that you work yeah, in. That's true. And so you're going to get paid in Aussie dollars by a company that's operating in Australia. And then the house that you buy, like the property that you invest in, generally mm. it's to live in. Yep. And so it's going to be exposed. It's going to be in Australia. So you're so exposed to the Australian economy. The one area where you can break out of your home country bias is in investing. And it's never been easier to do it. It's, it's never been easier to do it. And I guess why has that been the case? So if you think about it, it's what we know is basically what creates the choices that we make. So if I think about historically 20 years ago, Australian investor portfolios were very much just direct shares. So that's Australian stocks. You then started to get from an ETF side, some exposure through and you know, access into other markets. But again, it was very US centric as well, either global or US and then it's Australia. And so when I look at that, I'm basically looking at investor portfolios and that's what they're sort of leaning towards. So one, it's access. And now there's no excuse for that because you now have access. There are many different countries, as you said, that you know you can get access to different countries, different regions. Um, so one of the key parts there of why go international, it's that diversification element. It's also getting access to other areas of the market. So building into your portfolio. So if you're looking for a growth portfolio, for example, what would happen there? Would you just go into the US? You're sort of very focused just on and within the US, you look at the sector weights, it's very tech heavy, for example. So then you've got a, an overweight towards certain sectors or certain themes. Now, if I wanted to then broaden that out and look at Europe or look at India or look at Asia, you're getting exposure to one different countries that are operating under different considerations and environments operating on their own path. And that can be good and bad. You know, we've seen with Europe, it's sort of trotted along with Brexit, you know, the off the back of the financial crisis. We've had some, you know, concerns geopolitically as well that have destabilised during certain short-term periods. But actually Europe right now, the past 12 m months, has been one of the leader perform leading performers from a regional perspective. So getting exposure, diversifying, not just from a country, but different, I guess, investment theses within your portfolio. Another consideration... That a lot of the community have when looking at investing globally is currency. 
how should we think about currency when investing through ETFs? Some of the terminology that is often thrown around is hedged, unhedged. So help us unpack that a little bit. So when you invest in different countries, you're going to be exposed to different currencies. So that can also be a good thing as well. Again, it's that diversification element because currencies will be sometimes influenced by varying factors. You know, the US dollar somewhat influenced and has an overarching, um, I guess, influence over many different other currencies. But uh, the euro, for example, may have other influences away from the US dollar. So you've got exposure and diversification. So you've got country diversification. You've also got currency diversification, which can actually be beneficial at times to an investor's portfolio. Where people go hedged and unhedged. So basically, if we unpack that, that's essentially hedging out that currency fluctuation. So trying to just look at the performance of that underlying market. There is no right or wrong with that. What I would say is it really depends on the investor, what sort of risk they want to take and where that currency could be. There's a lot of arguments to say that long-term, unhedged, that is is sort of a, a right approach. And if you were to be more tactical with that hedging element, that could be a way around it because you just go long-term, I'm investing in Europe, whatever happens around Europe, that's the thesis around it because I want that diversification within my portfolio, but also I'm investing in what does Europe represent? And, you know, the growth story around Europe or around Asia or around India. Now, when you look at currencies, that can materially impact the portfolio and if you take the wrong timing. So, you know, we often talk about time in the market, not timing the market. When you're hedging, you're essentially timing it because you're trying to time the currency based on how it's going to move. So is that a risk? Are you, you know, well um, sort of researched that in terms of is that the right time? When do I exit out of that position? So that can also be, you know, potentially add greater complexity to your portfolio, I would say. So just be aware of that in terms of hedging. It's hedging out that currency volatility, but it's you have to somewhat time it. So I'd speak to an investment professional definitely around you know those aspects. And that is more of a tactical um, decision versus a strategic decision. And most ETFs, well, in fact, all ETFs will make it clear whether or not you're buying a hedged or unhedged. Uh, we have to. So it's in the naming convention. So the ASIC, so the regulators actually make sure that the providers actually have in their name of the fund if it's hedged or unhedged. And so we will have that. Yeah. yeah. My personal opinion, if you're just getting off the ground and looking to invest, is to not worry about it. <laughs> personal opinion. I think at the, an early stage, if you're, if you're thinking about de-risking with currencies and those sorts of things, it's just not something that if you're setting up a core portfolio, you need to be worrying about. You're, you're adding, you're 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 adding complexity. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're then trading big dollars and have strategic reasons to do it, then of course it, it can make sense. So, so, for example, we have seen recently with certain clients, they have gone... Um, traditionally unhedged, but then a portion of that unhedged allocation, they've gone hedged, but they've tactically made that decision. And it's very timely. It's um, time sensitive. It's a trade. It's a tactical trade that they've made, but they're in the markets. They know what they, you know, they will, they're researching their investment professionals and they're going down that path. So the good thing is for a lot of investors here in Australia, the option is available to them, you know, for that choice. And that's what we're trying to achieve here as an ETF provider is, you know, we're trying to democratise investing. We're trying to give investors choice. We're not trying to give them the, the tools that they can use. And it's not just us, it's all the other issuers as well. And that's the, the goal there. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think this is the point where we should go under the hood. Uh, we said we were looking at two ETFs today, the Nifty 50 and the Euro Stocks 50 ETF. Both of them can give you access to international markets, but we figured just to keep it really simple, we'll just go under the hood of one of them. We've chosen the Euro Stocks 50 because uh, we recognise more of the company names, although Bryce claims he's an India expert, so uh, he reckons he understood all of them. In, he he recognised all of them in both. But let's start where we start uh, with all of these Under the Hood episodes. When we look at an ETF, what's it trying to do? Its purpose? How does it try and do that? The index it tracks? And how much does it cost to get access to that? So... What is this ETF trying to do? So with the Global X Eurostox 50 ETF, it tracks the Eurostox 50 index. Essentially, at a high level, it's the 50 largest companies from the Eurozone region. So that's no UK exposure. Mm. Yeah, it's, what is it, 20, com- 20 countries or something like that? Uh, roughly, In yeah. In the European Union? Yep. So fees for, uh, for this is 0.35% or 35 basis points. And the performance, so over the last year... Ren, a return of 24.7%. <laughs> if I could whistle, I would right now. <laughs> <laughs> and over the last five years, a return of uh, 8.08%. So Per year. Per year, yeah. So pretty phenomenal given the turmoil that is still in my mind over the last 12 months that Europe has gone through and is still going through. Yeah. To, for it to be um, ripping 24% in the last 12 months is... Uh, Pretty phenomenal. It's funny because when you when you go under the hood of that ETF, you actually realise why that potentially is as well. Luckily, we are we're under the hood. We're about to figure that out. Let's let's do it. (laughs) All right. So geography um, top holdings um, in terms of if geography, forty one percent of it is uh, exposed to France, twenty six percent to Germany, and fourteen percent to the Netherlands. The top three countries there. I'm going to be honest. This surprised me because Germany is the biggest economy in Europe, and we have quite familiar with a lot of German companies, you know, like the car makers, the sports apparel companies, you know, Adidas, Puma, BMW, Mercedes. Um, Mercedes is German, right? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not losing my mind. (laughs) Um, And France, uh, there are some companies that we've spoken about on the podcast. LVMH, the luxury goods company, comes up a lot. Uh, But, yeah, 40% from France, full credit. Well, it's got to be LV- LVMH. Well, why don't we get to the top holdings and unpack it? I think you're right, Bryce. I think LVMH is in there. But, uh, Kanish, what are some of the other names that we might be familiar with? So one of the biggest companies in the world that a lot of people, or I think now everyone knows, but maybe they still don't, but ASML. Um, so ASML produces lithography machines in the semiconductor industry. So essentially that's the machine that etches... Um, the basically onto the chips, the design on, onto the chips. So they're the only company that has that that technology. So I've got this monopoly on the entire market. Basically, every semiconductor factory has to use an ASML lithography machine. It sells for hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just you know astronomical what ASML are doing. 
and that's the largest holding within this ETF. Uh, LVMH, Moet Hennessy, you know, we mentioned that. The second top holding at 7%. Now, it's funny because when I look down this list, you look at L'Oreal, that's there in the top 10 as well. You know, LVMH, L'Oreal, whilst they're listed in Europe, these are truly global mm. companies. So a lot of people, when they invest internationally as well, and they think I'm investing into the European equity market, I'm getting just Europe. And yes, you are, but you're actually also you're actually primarily also getting companies that are going to be having exposure globally from a revenue perspective. Mm. So when we do some of this analysis on that Eurostox 50 in, index, you actually find that a majority of companies, more than 50% of revenue comes outside of Europe. So that is important to note because you're actually getting exposure to countries like China or countries like the US, you know, countries in South America, etc. That's what you're getting truly global players. And when people look at those names, they're like, oh, I didn't realize, that, mm. you know, because and you're not going to get any of these names, by the way, if you invest in a US equity ETF, just you don't get that. Some of the other uh, companies in there, uh, companies like Sanofi, so that's in that sort of medical space. You've also got Allianz, uh, you've got Total Energies. Um, so Total Energies is that energy producer. And it's funny, uh, Total Energies is also in the process of spinning off some of its uh, non-sustainable clean technology revenue. So they're trying to move towards that clean emissions um, and they're basically honing in just on that and they're spinning off some of the, I guess, how would you call that? Sort of the polluting oh, sort the of oil revenue or the oils and things like that. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they're one of the world's major oil companies, aren't they? They, they yeah. are, but they're, they're working on how they move forward mm. in, with net zero yeah. and how, how they move forward and what the future, you know, basically demand for energy looks like. Mm. Yeah, a few other names that uh, I was familiar with, uh, SAP, the yeah. big software yep. player, um, Siemens, um, Schneider Electrical, I dealt with them at Coles, didn't realise how big they were until I saw them in this ATF. Um, but yeah, so some recognisable names. Yeah, big yeah. names in there. And that's one of the beauties of having uh, exposure to, a, 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 I guess, a, a this isn't quite country, but a area-specific global index. But, and the other thing is, if you look at the sectors, because I think that's important with the Eurostox 50, um, because at a sector level, you know, 19.8% to consumer discretionary, 18.5% to financials, 14.3% to information technology. When we look back on our Australian, you know, market, it's financials and resources mm. and that essentially is what we get exposure to so having that diversification yes from a country perspective but also from a sector perspective it's that whole concept well gents um we will close by asking the question where does it fit in the portfolio and up until now we've been generally erring on the side of satellite mm. but it does feel like this may be different what are your thoughts ren uh i think this is a core well, it can be a core holding. I think it tracks a uh, market cap weighted index. It's like as core as core can be. That's my feeling on it. I would agree with you for the Eurostox 50 ETF, so ESTX. Yeah. Um, it can fit into a core allocation for an investor, given where you also look at uh, global markets, how much Europe has in terms of that weight, in terms of global equities, in terms of that global market. Um, if I looked at India, 
India is an emerging market. To me, that is a satellite exposure within a portfolio because it is also for certain investors that are wanting to take that extra little bit of um, growth or, or targeting growth. Mm. So there's an element of risk and volatility when investing in emerging markets. Um, and that's so for that product, NDIA, I would say that's more in the satellite um, space within a portfolio versus Eurostoxx 50 sits on that core. Um, I think one thing for people to note is when they're looking at global equities or international equities, um, like you did when you open up, you know, you do your quarterly review, actually work out and understand what exposure, country exposure your portfolio has. So, you know, go under the hood of your portfolio because you may be surprised that you may have some exposure to some of these countries if you've got, you know, investments in some uh, thematic ETFs, mm. for example. What I've been really surprised is some of the clean um, technology uh, ETFs, whether it be on battery tech or hydrogen or uranium, for example, they are heavily overweight Europe and Asia versus the US. So it's one of those things, again, probably a different market set and you're not getting the same types of stocks. So there is that element of diversification still to be had to and rationale to include these names still alongside, but just be aware of it. Well, we set out to answer the question, uh, how do we build a global portfolio? And I hope we made it clear that you can do it easily from listings here on the ASX. You can do it from your bedroom. You can get access to some of the largest markets around the world simply through global index ETFs. Mm. There are some things to be aware of, currency, weighting towards countries, where it's domiciled, those sorts of things. But the good news is that you can, as Ren said at the top, it's never been easier to, uh, to get access to uh, building global portfolios. So, Kanish, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to Global X uh, for sponsoring uh, the Under the Hood series, which we are halfway through now. Global X are a leading player in the ETF industry, over a million clients in 95 countries, and an amazing industry leading research team. So, if you want inf- more information on the ETFs that we've spoken about today, the Global uh, X Nifty 50 or the Global X Eurostocks, head to globalxetfs.com.au. Similarly, there'll be um, plenty of product information on all of their ETFs available available on the ASX. Uh, Kanish, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure as always. No, thank you for having me. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.